Good morning, church. How are we doing? Awesome. If we haven't met, my name is Steve Armanderas, one of the assistant pastors here at the church, and it's a blessing to be able to uh, come and share God's word this morning. I'm going to ask if you'd grab your Bible and if you wouldn't mind standing and opening to 2 Chronicles chapter 7 as we begin part two of this reset series. And we read in 2 Chronicles 7.14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Father, we are so thankful for the opportunity this morning to be in the house of the Lord. And Lord, right now, we just want to pray for your peace. We pray, Lord, for your presence. We pray that the Holy Spirit would come. Lord, we thank you that you're already here. For you inhabit and dwell in, you're present in the praises of your people. And Lord, now as we open your word, we would just pray that you would quicken our hearts, Lord, to have wisdom and understanding. Lord, that we would hear your voice. That we would know, Lord, that your love is real and it's true and it's for every one of us here. And Lord, that in this time you would be honored and glorified. We pray all of these things now in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. If you're just joining us, we are in the midst of a five-part series. Pastor Bob kicked it off last week looking at... Second Chronicles chapter 7, and it's a reset series. And last week, Pastor Bob talked about the R in reset, which is, what is it? Relationship. And this morning, we're going to talk about the E, which is to evaluate. And so, you know, if my people who are called by my name, and Pastor Bob last week talked about that relationship, that we are the people of God. And to be in a relationship, to be in fellowship, to be a part of his family, to be in his community, if my people, and certainly in the Old Testament, it speaks of the nation of Israel. The name Israel itself means governed by God. And for you and I, Unless we're Jewish here, we are a part of the family of God as Christians, and we have the name of God as well. The name Christian means like Christ or little Christ. And so if we are in relationship, if we are governed by God, if we are in relationship, if we are like Christ, our life ought to exhibit certain characteristics. But Solomon is writing, and God is speaking here in Second Chronicles, and kind of foretelling, because they're dedicating the temple, and the Lord is saying, if you guys fall away, and if the heavens are shut up, and there's no rain, and there's famine, and there's pestilence, and there's war, and there's turmoil, if my people who are called by my name, if those who are governed by God, if those who bear my image, if those who are to represent me, would humble themselves... And that's what we're going to talk about today, the E in evaluate, to humble. You see, 
there are times when we can find ourselves in seasons of our life like the people that Jesus was referring to in Matthew 15, 8, when he said, These people draw near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves. The word humble is the Hebrew word kana. It literally means to bend the knee. And we'll talk about humility this morning and hopefully have a better idea of what that means. In the New Testament definition, it's the word proskuneo. And it literally, it means to bow the knee, but it also means not only to bow the knee, but to kiss. And you know, it's actually a given in a biblical understanding of prayer or worship that it's impossible to properly pray without bending your knee. And even in the songs that Stasi and the team were just leading in, there's this heart and this desire that we bow before God and we are actually in our worship kissing God. But you know, at times, and I just examine my own heart, my own life, I can be in church and I can even be praying and I can even be singing songs, but the reality of what's going on inside my mind or more importantly in my heart is my knees are not bowed. And the last thing I'm doing is kissing God. I can be a million miles away. And it's so easy over time, and I believe that God proactively is speaking to his people saying, guys, guard your heart. You're my people. You're to be governed by me. You're to be like me. But at times we drift and we, we fall away from where we're to be, to bow our knee. But not just physically. You can be in a bowed down position, but your mind and heart could be millions of miles away, distracted by so many different things. You know, when we talk about humility, uh, it's, Pastor Bob actually texted me this morning, and he just said, you know, I was just reading this morning, and he's taking a little time away with his wife, and he'll be back and just getting refreshed and renewed, but uh, he said this, he read this this morning, honest thinking about God always requires humility. And you know, humility is one of those things that's like, how do we define it? What does it look like? And, and again, hopefully we'll have a better picture this morning as we look at these, uh, at a few passages. But I love this. It's by Charles Spurgeon, who was a great preacher from the 1800s. He says this about humility. You may be a king and yet be humble. You may be a beggar and yet be proud. You may be great and yet little in your own esteem. You may be little and yet you may be greater in your estimation than those who are the greatest. See to it then that your low estate not make you proud any more than your high estate. Anyone here humble? <laughs> We are never so much in danger of being proud as when we think we're humble. You know, that phrase begins there in 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, if my people who are called by my name. The word if, any English majors here? 
is a conditional clause. My daughter's here visiting from D.C. She's an English major. If. It refers to something that may or may not happen. It's a conditional clause. If you do this, this will happen. If you do that, that will happen. If you don't do this, this will happen. If you don't do that, that won't happen. And really, in, in, in 2 Chronicles 7.14, it really is a, a just, in one verse, they encapsulate Leviticus 26. And if you want to do some more study later on this, for context, read Leviticus 26. But if, the very first if in the Bible is found in Genesis chapter 4, and I'm going to ask that you turn there to Genesis chapter 4, because I think oftentimes, as Pastor Bob has, has mentioned to us in the past, you always look at the, the first place where a term or a concept appears in the Bible, and it kind of helps you to get the gist of it throughout the rest of the Scriptures. And this is a mind-blowing story, and in this section of Genesis chapter 4, we find the very first if. As I read it, see if you can see where it is. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And then she bore again, and this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Verse 6. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well. There it is. Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Here it is, Cain and Abel. They both have a heart to approach God. And Cain brings a vegetable basket. And Abel brings the lamb, the firstling of the flock. And God accepted the lamb. He did not accept the fruit basket. Does God hate vegetables? No, he created them. But what was going on here? He was declaring that there's a right way to approach me and a wrong way. And that we ought to do it the right way. And Abel, in his offering of a lamb, was declaring something that's super important for us. You see, the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, no removal, no forgiveness of sin. Back in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve had fallen, they were ashamed, they were naked, they ran and they hid themselves from God. They took fig leaves, itchy, scratchy fig leaves, sewed them together and made coverings for themselves. And God came and he said, what are you guys doing? They were, they were, they were hiding from him. And what did God do in, in Genesis 3.21? He took an animal and he slew it and he provided skins of covering for Adam and Eve. And God is demonstrating how he would cover, how he would provide. And 
Cain, in his desire to bring a fruit basket, to bring vegetables, it wasn't that God is saying, I hate you, Cain, and I hate fruit. I'm a meat eater, don't you know? No, that's not what he was saying. But he's saying there's a right way to approach me, there's a wrong way, and Abel has chosen the right way. And Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? The word accepted there literally means raised up, esteemed. It's a word that's given to royalty as they come to power. And here, very early in the scriptures, there's an establishment of a way that one can be lifted up, a way that one can be accepted. And before you'll ever be raised up and accepted, you first must humble yourself and bow down and receive God's provision and realize that he's the authority, he's the creator of life, and if I align my life to his order and to his authority, I will be lifted up, I will be accepted, I will be elevated. It's interesting, I read this this week. The American Worldview Inventory is put out every year by Arizona Christian, and uh, it's a small Christian college, and... You know, it's hard to find a good Christian college that truly believes in the Bible anymore. And even more difficult to find a seminary that still believes in the truth of Scripture and the power and the authority of the inerrancy of God's Word. It's very difficult. Arizona Christian is a college that, in my opinion, is doing that. And many of you know George Barna and his research, and he's kind of moved his research group out there, and the stuff that they're coming up is, I think it's just right on. And in the 2021 annual survey, I think we have it up on the board, they examined the perspectives of adults aged 18 and over in the United States. Is that anyone here? Good. And they found that while 50% of millennials born 1984 to 2002, would you raise your hand if you were born 84 to 2002? All right, look around, there's a few of you. <laughs> Consider themselves to be Christian. 43% don't know, don't care, or believe that God exists. Comparatively, 70% of Generation X Americans, 65 to 83, can I see those hands? That's my wife and I, there's a few more of us. 79% of baby boomers, 1946 to 64. Any of you here? Yeah, all right. More. And 83% of the builder generation, 1927 to 1945. Is that you? Awesome. We should have those stand up and applaud. Mind-blowing. You see the change in the numbers that have transformed in just the lifetimes represented here. I'm going to do it my way. I don't believe in God. I don't care what God says. I don't care what the Word of God says. I'm going to do it my way. And so now, as a culture, we're left to Taylor Swift to tell us how to rightly define gender, which is a personal mission of hers. And it's not in accordance with God's word and what gender is. Or Lady Gaga, who's now telling us what is good and what isn't good. Or even our very own Supreme Court that is now defining 
what marriage is and is not. And it is not in agreement with the biblical definition that marriage is between a man and a woman. You see, when you fail to submit to the authority of God and the order of God and the provision of God, it's a slippery slope and soon anything goes. And we are experiencing that right now in unprecedented ways. There's a guy who I, I came across recently. He's gaining a following up in L.A. and Santa, Santa Monica area as well as Austin. And, and he's this young guy and he's hip and he's cool. And, and all these people are like listening to this guy. And I was listening to him and he's talking about cosmic consciousness. And he said, it is such a beautiful thing when I look at the birds and and how they all fly together. And I'm telling you, man, I love nature. I love birds. And I love to go down to the coast. And to me, I'm just blown away. I love those big, funky pelicans. How do they fly? And they're in formation, and they're kind of just soaring over the cliffs and riding the thermals. And race. And they're all like in perfect unison. You'd think that the blue angels are like out there flying. And they're pelicans. And it's just such a beautiful thing. And then this guy's talking about... and. Another example of the cosmic consciousness is the schools of fish that they just are going this way and that way and just coming along together. And we're all as humanity a part of the cosmic consciousness with the birds and with the fish and human beings. And I'm like, record scratch. What? Yes, it's true. The birds are connected. And the fish are connected. And the reason they're connected is because they are humbled before the nature that God has called them to operate in. But when we look at the violence in our country, we look at the hatred, we look at the separation and the division and the murder, it's quite clear that there is no cosmic consciousness that's going on. There is a conscious death that's going on. And the hatred and the disrespect and the devaluation of life that is causing so much division from a biblical perspective would be caused by a denial of the land. I'm going to do it my way. And I think I've got a pretty good idea of how it should happen. You know... uh, God has his fingerprints all throughout history. They're everywhere if we look for them. And sometimes they're imprinted in language, and Chinese is one of the most ancient languages. Now, I do not speak Chinese. Certainly, I do not write Chinese, but from what I know about Chinese, those characters that are like squiggly lines to us are actually word stories. They're pictures. And there's a beautiful thing in the Chinese language. I think we'll have it up on the screen. The, the word in Chinese, the character for righteousness in Chinese is the character for oneself or me or I. And it's the lamb, a sheep, that is put over self. And that is the Chinese term for righteousness. If you do well, Cain, if you would bring a lamb, if you would understand, if you would accept, if you would receive that you need a lamb in order to be accepted in my sight, you will be elevated. 
you will rise up if you do well. This morning, are you doing well? Have you humbled yourself under the one that John the Baptist declared in John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's a good question for all of us to answer. You know, we talk about humility to bow the knee, to kiss. Not just a physical outward act, but really from the heart. The Bible's filled with some amazing examples of humility, and I will tell you our church is filled with some amazing examples of humility, as I've gotten to know many of you. But in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, it says, Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. Paul, the apostle, a New Testament example of a man who was humble, he was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He, was, he went to the Harvard of his day and checked all the boxes of the guy that you would want to be running your organization And yet, he met the Lord on the road to Damascus, and he knocked him off of his high horse. And Paul, when he was transformed by meeting the Lamb, recognized in his presence that he was the chief of all sinners. And later, he would declare in 1 Corinthians 15, I am the least saint and the lowest of the apostles. And in that same chapter in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul would say, the only place that I could glory is in the grace of God. And later in Galatians chapter 6, Paul would declare, the only place that I will ever boast is in the cross of Christ, rather than in any of my self-righteousness, because my righteousness is as filthy rags. If my people... The first thing that we must understand about humility is that it is rooted in relationship. And unless we have a relationship with the living God who created you, under his authority and under his order, humility is an impossible word. It's an impossible idea. It's an impossible Activity that will ever be present in any of our lives. And we'll illustrate that in just a moment. Humility is rooted in a relationship with Jesus, the Lamb of God. It is established by God's grace. And the result is a condition of mind and heart that is no longer occupied with me at all. It is the character trait where a person is unconcerned about themselves. It is a lack, a total lack of self-pride. And let me tell you, man, that is completely contrary to how many of us have been raised and how many of us have been educated, how many of us have been taught about being strong and being bold and being courageous and knowing what you want and going to get it. You know, when we rightly align ourselves with the Lord, he doesn't make us little weak wimps. There's power and there's strength, but it's no longer for my glory. It's for his glory. It's for his purposes. But we struggle with this because we like to be in control. And for Cain, I want to be in control, and I'm going to do it my way. 
I'm in charge. I'm the king. Many of you, you ever seen one of these? I don't know if you could see that. It's the, the four spiritual laws. And I will tell you, this is one of the greatest tracks. We have a few out on the welcome table. And now, you know, everything's gone on the app. If you want a four spiritual laws, you can get one. You can get the app on your phone. And man, I have seen God use this thing, even in my own life. I remember when I was a student at San Diego State, and we were going down to Mazatlan with a group from Campus Crusade for Christ. And we were going to witness to the uh, spring breakers, but also just to the Mexican people. And we were there in Mazatlan, and I'm telling you, I had one of the best days. Uh, it's, it's, I'll never forget this day, because I had one of these. And on one side, it had English, and on the other side, it had Spanish. And I'm not making this up. Every single person that I approached and shared this little spiritual law, four spiritual law booklet, prayed to receive Christ. It didn't matter if you were an American college student down there on spring break or a Mexican family in the laundromat doing their laundry or a guy sitting at a bus stop, one after another. There was only one family that I approached with this book that did not pray to receive Christ. I was crossing the street and I noticed a, a mom and a dad, tall, slender, light-complected, and they were looking at a map, and they were in the middle of a median and the busy road, traffic going this way and that way, and they're looking at this map, and they had a mom and a dad and two kids, and I approached them, and I started to share with them, but they kind of shook their head, and they were able to tell me that they were from Finland, and that was the only people <laughs> that didn't uh, pray with me to receive Christ that day. But, you know, if you open this up to page 9, I think we have it up on the screen, a small portion of this. Remember this? You ever seen this? You can get one of these out at the welcome table. The two circles represent two kinds of lives. And on the left, you have the self-directed life. And that little chair there in that, in that circle on the left is to be a throne. And the S is the self. Self is on the throne. And if you look at the cross, Christ is outside of your life. And your interests are directed by self, often resulting in discord and frustration. And let me just tell you this, that is the nature and the situation for the world that we live in today. And guess what? People are happy that things are that way. They celebrate that things are that way. And they work very hard to keep things that way. Don't ever try to knock me off of my throne, because if you do, there's going to be a war, there's going to be a battle, there's going to be a fight. And on the other side, we see the Christ-directed life, that Christ is on the throne. And self is there at the footstool, yielding to Christ. And interests are directed by Christ, resulting in harmony with God's purpose and plan. Now, that's a nice, cute little picture, and it doesn't always look that way. But I think it communicates an amazing idea. And then I love that question, which circle best represents your life? Because if we were to draw an ideal of what humility is, first it starts by you getting off of the throne and allowing Jesus Christ to be on the throne. And I would ask you this morning, who is on the throne of your life? Hmm. Is it Christ? Or is it 
himself. If my people who are called by my name, I am to be Israel governed by God. His people have him on the throne. I'm to be like Christ, submitted to God's word and to his will. That's what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. And if that's the case in my life, there should be this change. There should be this transformation that takes place. I love what 1 Peter chapter 5 says. It's very challenging in many ways. But it speaks to the younger, the millennials. And it says this, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Amen. But isn't that a foreign concept today? The disrespect of seniors, the disrespect of the elderly, well, we got to kind of marginalize them instead of celebrating the wisdom and the lessons that we can glean and learn. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. And then this, and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Guys, when we bow before the Lord, when we submit to his plan, when we humble ourselves and say, God, I don't have it figured out, what does he do? He lifts us up. And that's what he said he would do for Cain. But Cain, what did he do? You read the next few verses there, and he took his brother out into the field. And the name Cain means spear, which is really interesting because the word in Hebrew, kana, is the exact same word, the way you translate it, humility, kana. Kana with humility is with a K, K K-A-N-A. Kana, the way that Cain spells it, Q-A-N-A. You know, when we fail to Kana, humble ourselves, we find ourselves Kana, poking spears. Interesting how that works. But here, the call of Peter is that we would clothe ourselves with humility. I love that word. It's a new word. It could be your word for the day. And it's this in the Greek, inkombumai. Now, some of you just heard Income can be mine. (laughs) No, that's what the TV preachers tell you. That I'm going to follow God so that income can be mine. But clothe yourself with humility. Inkambumai. You know what it is? Inkambumai was a very special garment that was worn in biblical times And it was worn only by slaves that were laboring. And a free man would never wear that. What? What is he calling me to? Because you are the family of God, because you are governed by me, because you are like me, you are to clothe yourself with a different garment. Pastor Bob gave that great illustration last week of Jonathan taking off his royal robe and giving it to David and his 
armor, and what a beautiful picture that that is. The picture that we're all called to clothe ourselves with is that robe that was, that garment that was only worn by a slave when they were laboring. You know, that's what Jesus put on when he washed his disciples' feet. Mind-blowing. You know, there, I said, man, we got some great examples in the Bible. We got some great examples here in the church of people that I see that put on that garment. For some, it's the yellow parking vest. And I don't want to rob anyone's blessings, but we have a guy who helps park our cars. He's not here. He's in Florida right now taking some time off named Mike. And, you know, Mike helps to direct traffic in and out every Sunday morning. He's been doing it for several years. And I went to visit Mike at his place of employment, a place that he happened to own, which was a car dealership, a very well-known car dealership, a large car dealership. And I go up into his office, and I'm kind of blown away because he's the big cheese. And he's got, I don't know, 20 guys that do what, at his dealership, directing traffic, moving cars, parking cars. And yet he comes here on a Sunday morning and does it. I said, Mike, what are you doing? You've got, you've got guys that do this. You, that you pay them to do this, and you come and you serve. And he just smiles. And there's a change, and there's a transformation. We have people serving in our children's ministry who they've just in kombu my man, I'm not going to go there. They might, those kids spit up, and they might leave something on me that I don't want to take home. In kombu my. They're at the coffee bar. I love it. You know what? You, they literally put that apron on and they tie it on. In Kambumai. What a beautiful picture. Our midweek uh, Bible study. I hope you come out First Peter Wednesday for the guys and the gals are going to be uh, studying the women of the New Testament. And Doc Larry, I don't want to steal his blessing, but it's a picture. It's an example. Doc Larry was the number one dude in his class at medical school. He was a top doc, at, I believe, at the Mayo Clinic, John Hopkins. He's the most brilliant guy. You know who he is on Wednesday night? He puts on his apron. He is our grill master. And I hope you come out and study the word of the Lord and fellowship with us on Wednesday nights. You know, it's, we should be turning people away to serve in children's ministry. Why? Because that's what is great in the kingdom. You know, over the years, I've had guys come up and say, you know, uh, how do I get on this board here at the church? Well, <laughs> it starts with serving. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, but I'm on this board and I'm on that board and I'm on that board over there, but how do I get on the board here? Well, you don't start by seeking that. In Kambumai. To be clothed with humility, to just serve wherever is needed and in, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and in due season you shall be exalted. You know, reset. This is all about a reset. And we're coming back out of this pandemic and it's crazy. And if we just go back to the usual and say, all right, I'm back at church indoors. Hallelujah, wonderful, awesome, and great. But if it's really not connected, if it's really not bowing the knee, if it's really not coming to church on time so that I don't miss 
anything. I don't miss the worship. I want to kiss the face of Jesus. I want to kiss the feet of Jesus when I, in gratitude, understand what it is that he's accomplished for me, what he's done for me. There's this change. There's this transformation that takes place in my life. Speaking of servant, we'd be remiss if we didn't speak about the one. And we can spend all year, every moment, every breath speaking of who he is and how great he is because, of course, the greatest example is Jesus. And in Philippians chapter 2, we'll wrap up things here. We've studied Philippians 2 just in our recent study in in the midweeks. And it says there in Philippians 2, verse 1, Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And then he says in verse 5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. You know, we sang that song earlier. He came from heaven to earth. And that's the first arrow. Imagine what Christ had when he, he didn't stop being God, but he left his glory. He humbled himself. And becoming in the likeness of man and being found in the appearance of a man, as a man. He lived 33 years on earth. And what did he do? He loved and he served and he taught and he had a relationship with the worst of the worst and he tried to get through to the best of the best but they, like Cain, wanted nothing to do with the lamb. They rejected the lamb. They resisted the lamb. They said, nope. They were happy in their religious self-righteousness and who they were. It tells us that he humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death. And that's the second arrow. He came from heaven to earth. He lived his life. Actually, that's the third arrow. The third arrow. He was lifted up onto the cross. He humbled himself to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And he was buried. And that's the fourth arrow. And he spent three days. He was in the grave. He was dead. And he experienced death. He didn't experience death for his sin. He experienced death for my sin and for your sin, for our sin. And how grateful we are that he died because he didn't stay in the grave. Three days later, he rose again. And that's the next arrow. And he spent 40 days here on earth showing himself alive, showing the nail scars, the nail holes, What a mind-blowing thing to celebrate. And then it tells us that after 40 days, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. I'm going to go away, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And one of these days, I'm going to come back. And we await the second coming. And he's going to come, and he's going to establish justice and righteousness and mercy and, and, and 
make all things new and how much we would wish and hope for and long for that to happen. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You know, there's another arrow that's coming. No one knows. No one knows. You know, some are on the throne and they're just driving like a nail and no one can get in their way, doing quite well. And everything is up and there are many that find themselves in that position. And there's others, man, oh man, are we screwed up? This might as well have my name on it, Steve. Screwed up. And some of us are a little nuts. Man, oh man, are we nuts. All jacked up. And some of us, man, we are sharp. We are just ah, pointy and prickly and just a mess. And there's so many. I mean, there's just some we don't know what we are. It's just a big old conglomeration. There's another arrow that's coming. The Bible says that the trumpet of God will sound and the voice of the archangel will shout and what? The dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. with the Lord for all of eternity. Well, wait a minute. What about these guys? They've got it all together. They're on the throne. They're sitting on the gold throne. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. I don't know when that trumpet is sounding. I don't know when that angel is going to shout. But it's coming. It is coming. And you need to understand this before we leave here. There is a great difference in being humble and being humbled. If you would humble yourself now, you will never be humbled because the day is coming when every one of us will stand before God and give an account. And the only thing that's good enough to get you in is whether or not there's a lamb over me. There's nothing else in this world that matters. And those who have rejected the lamb will be humbled. And I pray that if you're here, while you're here, right now today, there is still an opportunity To get off the throne. Can we put that picture back up again? There it is. Which circle best represents your life? Is Christ 
outside of the circle and you sitting on the throne, if that's you, I would just pray and encourage you today to receive the great gift of the Lamb. Humble yourself, bow before him and receive his goodness, his grace, and his love while there is still time. Father, I pray, Lord, for those who are here. Lord, if there be anyone here this morning who has not yet humbled themselves, they are in control. You are not in their life, but through your word this morning you have spoken and you've called and you're drawing and you're wooing and you're pleading. The lamb has been provided and all you must do is receive it. If you're here this morning and you recognize you are on the throne of your life, Christ is not, but you want him to be on the throne of your life, I'd love to pray for you. I'm going to ask, just simply raise your hand. And you would say, you know what, Steve, that first circle is me. And I don't want that to be me any longer. Is there anyone here that would say, I'm ready to get off of that throne? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Anyone else? Anyone else? Hmm. Simple prayer. Anyone else? Yes, ma'am. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will exalt you in due time. Anyone else? If that's you, you raised your hand. Just pray this prayer. Lord, thank you for sending the lamb. I humble myself. I get off of the throne and I want you to rule. I desire that you would reign. I receive you, Lord. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for paying the price for my sin. Your blood cleanses me, washes me, heals me. Receive his love. We bow down, Lord. We kiss your feet. You are worthy. Father, may we truly honor you and praise you. And Lord, maybe we're here as believers. We know you, and yet we have not been living with you on the throne. We have you in the circle, but we're still wrestling. We're still holding on. I'm not going to make a call for that, but I would love, if that's you, you call upon the Lord. Bow before him as we sing this last song and worship him and praise him and give him the honor. Let him be the authority in your life. Let him be the one who directs your life and in faith to take upon that garment, to clothe yourself with humility in honor and praise and glory to his name. Can we all stand together, church? We bless you, Lord. You are good. We praise you, Lord. You are faithful. We thank you for dying for us that we could have life with you forever and ever. And Lord, we pray in this world before it's too late that many more would come to know the Savior of the world. And may they come to know the Savior of the world by the way that we live our life by the way that we serve in our family, the way that we serve in our workplace, the way that we serve in our home, the way that we serve in our church. Lord, may we be empowered by your Holy Spirit. Lord, you are the example. You didn't come, Lord, that we would have 
a comfortable life here. You came that we could have eternal life forever. Lord, may we live to serve you and bow down in worship and praise. We bless your holy name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.